Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Welcome back. I think this is like a big welcome back. It's been a very, very long time since last I had the opportunity to sit here behind the microphone. It's Thursday afternoon. That means it's fresh thinking time. All kinds of other things have been happening in this slot over the last few weeks. That's how it is over the holidays. And as just about everybody I've spoken to this week says, oh, those holidays are long forgotten. Well, I certainly hope that that's not the case. I hope that uh, you still feel somewhat energized and refreshed, ready to tackle whatever it is that the coming months have to offer, whether they be challenges or opportunities. So welcome back. Like I say, it's been a long time. Nice to be back in the driver's seat, fresh thinking with Rabbi Shishla and uh, on the air until three o'clock. Throughout the course of the conversation, you're welcome at any time to share your opinion. It's nice. We have people who are always insightful. Maybe there's a little bit of uh, drag after the holidays until everybody gets back into the swing of things and starts participating. But just in case you don't know, of course, there's the SMS line 34519. But the WhatsApp number, you might still have the old WhatsApp number, is 0618951. Oh one nine oh six one eight nine five one oh one nine, and of course you can always tweet. You can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Love to have your thoughts, your insights about either what we land up speaking about today, or about anything that happens to be on your mind and relates to fresh thinking, thinking about Judaism, about the world, about life a little bit out of the box. So get involved. Tune in, participate, share your views, ask questions, offer answers, give insight. That's what we are all about here on the show. And please, God, it's going to be a great series of shows through the course of 2018. Love to hear your input as we go along. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So I've got I've got something I want to share with you, and I'd like to hear your views on it. Uh, I certainly think that Judaism has a very strong view on this. It's funny how things happen, and uh, you land up sometimes having a conversation, and then the same topic pops up shortly afterwards, a day or two later, in another context, and then again. And that's exactly what's happened to me over the last week or so. Fascinating that this particular topic should pop up in a few different permutations. So uh, I just want to share some of the conversations and some of the thoughts that uh, that I've had with various people this week, and that will open the line of conversation for what we're going to talk about over here today. So one conversation, one conversation, hopefully nobody who uh, was involved in any of these conversations gets overly offended. One conversation, and I, I, I just straight away, uh, your knee-jerk reaction when you hear this, share your knee-jerk reaction on 34519 or by WhatsApp on 0618951019. So the conversation went something like this, talking to a person and we we're talking about stages in life and, and ages. And this particular person said, you know, to be perfectly honest, there's something absolutely thrilling about being involved in the education of young people. Young people are very open. They're malleable. You can 
talk to them, you can direct them, you can shape them. And it's really, it's very gratifying to work with a young person and watch how they grow and develop and move uh, because they're, they're just so open. On the other hand, and here's the part that maybe some people will find troubling, maybe even offensive. On the other hand, once people hit a certain age, they peg the age at, say, 30 years old. That's it. Then you are who you are, and perhaps you'll make a little bit of progress in one area of life or in another area of life, but fundamentally, you that's it. You've cast your mold. This is the person you are. This is how you tick. It's the nature of your character, and not a whole lot is going to change in your life. That's unfortunately the reality and therefore it's not so exciting and maybe it's even a little off-putting to try and work with people who are in their adult years and to try and train them or coach them or help them to change we know very often you meet people and they've got habits that are bad habits or they've got personality traits that annoy or are defeatist and you wish, you wish that they could have that kind of insight into themselves and that they should be able to change themselves. So this particular person was just sharing that frustration. You know, when a person hits adulthood, you can't really expect much. You can't really expect much change from them. And uh, I don't personally agree with that, but I'm interested what you think. And I'm interested if we can work out what Judaism thinks about it. In other words, everybody will agree. Uh, there's a lot of science around it. They talk about neuroplasticity, the fact that at a certain stage in a person's life, as you're developing, as you're growing, particularly in your younger years, there's a lot of capacity within the brain to be able to adapt, to be able to uh, broaden itself, watch how children learn languages, look how easily they adapt to new environments. So nobody is going to argue the reality, which is when you're younger, change is easier. My question is, does a person get to a point in their life where that's it? It's over. There's nothing you can do. This is me. I am who I am. And please don't expect that I should in any way shift. So... Curious, curious what you might think about. And maybe you have a particular reference in some Torah source that would support one side or the other of the argument. So that was the one conversation that uh, happened this week that got me thinking about this particular topic. Then there's another conversation around a similar topic. And that was I was chatting to a person who is uh, quite connected in the business world and very keen, very keen to engage youth in this country and get them on board and use the energy of youth and use the excitement of youth to be able to create in his vision, in his dream, to be able to create some kind of a revolution, more along the lines of opportunities, economic opportunities. But but the point was, let's take the youth and take their potential and take their excitement and take their energy and let's direct it. Let's turn it into something positive, which I thought was really nice. Then literally an hour later, I was talking to somebody else, happened to just 
by the way, mention this particular topic. And this person says, I don't understand why people keep going on and on and on about the youth. The youth this, we invest in the youth, we educate the youth, we make subsidized education available to the youth, and we completely ignore people who are a little bit older. Now, he told me a statistic that I did not know, but apparently the highest the highest uh, statistical, the, the demographic with the highest level of retrenchment in this country is people in their 40s. So that means to say people who have quite a lot of financial responsibility and they, they've got bills to pay, they've got family to support and that's where there's a very high level of retrenchment. Why is nobody investing in that demographic and saying, well, let's educate these people? And it probably goes back to the same kind of argument, which is too late. What are you going to teach a person already in their 40s? How much can somebody change at that stage in their lives? And again, I ask the question, would Judaism concur with that? So the person I was talking to said, why don't we have some kind of a vertical revolution, which means there are, there's the revolutionary energy of young people. Then there is the hands-on engaged in the marketplace insight of people in midlife and then there is the great sage advice and experience of people who have retired been through the whole process and bring everybody on board and and often it feels as though people dismiss over a certain age people are dismissed either over a certain age they no longer are seen as relevant in societies they would possibly be uh, you know in the older years and from Adulthood, call it 30, we'll just use that number. People are no longer really durable, uh, changeable, malleable. You can't, you can't really work with them. So is that, is that a Jewish perspective? And, and at this point in the conversation, I'm talking specifically about people and about whether people can change. It's something I think that we have to ask ourselves, every one of us on a daily basis, because Possibly it's one of the most important things for us to do is to challenge ourselves to change. So is that even feasible? Is it something that you can discuss? Is it something you can expect? There's that old tongue-in-cheek uh, exp- uh, expression. It's a little bit of a play on words with the Eastern philosophies that says change – well, it's not really. that Change is inevitable except from a vending machine. So change, external change is inevitable. That's for sure. The world around us is going to change. We'll never be the same. That's absolutely guaranteed. That you can't know that next year will reflect this year. You can't imagine that the same things that were successful business-wise in one period in history will be successful in a different period. That the same kind of health hazards will be the same hazards. We understand that the world's going to change. But people, people, it would seem that there's an overwhelming sense that you get to a certain point, certain stage, a certain age, and it's important sometimes to distinguish between age and stage because it's not necessarily an age thing could very much be a stage thing and that's it you're done you are molded and you are stuck and there's nothing that's going to change you so you might get a you know expand your business you might improve your health you might take on a new hobby But you're not going to fundamentally change who you are. So if you're that person who is lazy, that's it. You're going to be lazy. If you're that person who easily gets frustrated, upset, despondent, that's who you're going to be. So would Judaism endorse that kind of thinking? That's what we're going to discuss here today. 34519, if you'd like to SMS in. Otherwise, you can WhatsApp 0618951019 or tweet at ChaiFM. Tweet me directly at Ravashish. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power.
So, it is uh, Fresh Thinking Thursday afternoon. If you've just joined in, I want to talk today about the notion that uh, people have that you get to a certain stage in life and that's it. That's who you are. You're pretty much molded. You might make some minor adjustments, but nothing fundamental is going to shift about who you are. So, the first story that obviously leaps to mind for me is the story of Rabbi Akiva. Very, very well-known story. I'm sure most of you listening know the story, but let's just... Uh, pull out the salient points so Rabbi Akiva was a very simple person he was illiterate he did not have much of a flair or an enjoyment or a sensitivity to spirituality in fact on the contrary he had a bit of a beef with rabbis and at the age of 40 on the encouragement of his new wife he started to buckle down and and to study so that means at the age of 40 he started to learn how to read And he went on to become a completely changed human being, completely changed, not only in terms of knowledge, not only in terms of literacy, but in terms of the quality of what kind of a person he was and went on to become one of the greatest leaders in Jewish history. So that would be one example that kind of leaps out that. Okay, you might say that it's an an outlier and not necessarily is everybody that way. And perhaps he he had tremendous potential. In fact, that is definitely uh, from a, a more spiritual perspective. If you read the writings of the Arizal, the Kabbalistic writings of the Arizal, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, he talks about Rabbi Akiva as having been one of these highly, highly powerful souls that had to go through a journey that locked his power in and uh, uh, there needed to be a catalyst for the release. So in other words, it's not that he necessarily changed internally as much as he changed externally to release the potential that he had within himself. But I think it's a good story to illustrate the fact that you're, you're not stuck in who you are and, and there's there's no excuse in a sense for a person to say well what do you want from me this is my personality this is how I was educated this is the environment that I lived in that's probably the first story that leaps out but I'll tell you another story that people don't necessarily think about and it should be obvious should be absolutely obvious to us when we're talking about this issue of are you stuck as who you are or could you shift and change and that would be the story of Moses of Moshe Rabbeinu himself. You know, we all think of Moshe because of the great things that he achieved in his life, taking the nation out of slavery. I mean, it's the first liberation movement ever in history. That's a huge story. And of course, the miracles that accompanied that. And then much more of an achievement was to bring the Torah to the people, to have this conduit, this human being who could speak to God, speak to the people, flit back and forth between the infinite realm and human, ordinary, mundane life. And with that was able to bring the code of morals and ethics and values to the world that the whole world is predicated on today. That value system. And and not just the value system, the fact that he introduced godliness in a, into our world. I mean, it, it's it's really quite phenomenal. And then you think about the fact that he was a leader of the Jewish people in the desert for 40 years. Not just walking circles for 40 years. That was 40 years of very intense educating, taking 3 million people and 
breaking that slave mentality and educating them to see the world differently and for their children to inherit a sense of value and purpose and to prepare them to go into their own settlement and to take over the land of Canaan and turn it into the holy land. It's an incredible thing for us. We don't consider that everybody today will call Israel the holy land, but it wasn't always that way. There was an achievement. It was an achievement of the Jewish nation who took an ordinary country for all intents and purposes, filled with the most amoral people on the planet at that time, and they totally turned it around. That was all because of the guidance and preparation that Moshe had given them. So when we look at all the great achievements that Moshe did in his life, and the fact that he was a leader for 40 years, very, very often we overlook the fact that he only began the journey at 80. Can you imagine that? At 80 years old. That means we don't know everything that happened to Moshe for the first 80 years of his life. We do know he was brought up in Pharaoh's palace. We do know there was a time he had to run away and landed up in Midian. And he stayed there for quite a long time. There are all sorts of Midrashic insights as to what happened then. Uh, We know that he married. We know who he married. Uh, The Midrash fills in that there was a time he took leadership of a particular country. All kinds of things. But the reality is Moshe, Moses, the most famous religious personality in history, only started that particular journey at the age of 80. And uh, let's admit that he did so begrudgingly. In other words, even Moshe himself felt that he couldn't. I can't talk. I can't talk. This is a job that requires very strong verbal skills, and I don't have those skills. It's not my thing. Speak to my brother. He's a much more of a people's person. He knows how to communicate. He knows how to get it across. And it's an incredible thought because when you analyze what the Torah tells us about the interface between Moshe and God at the burning bush, you you see that it took God one full week to it's a harsh word to use, but to convince Moshe to take the job. So there are all kinds of reasons for that, but the, the most fundamental reason is because 80 years down the line, who's going to believe that they should be switching their whole life around in such a dramatic way? A person who's an absolute introvert, essentially, not a speaker, not somebody who engages. Not only that, but he didn't live with the community. He was, in a sense, a stranger, an outsider. And and all of that, frankly, is just the superficial stuff. Once you study the Torah in a little bit more depth, you recognize that Moshe was just on such a supreme spiritual level that the concept of trying to engage and interact with ordinary people and ordinary problems was just out of his vocabulary. It's not something he related to. It's not something that he, uh, we see that. We see that later on when the Jews come crying, we want meat. And, and Moshe's like, I don't know where to get you meat. Which was not a practical response. I don't know where to get you meat. They had plenty, plenty livestock with them. He's saying, I don't get you about this meat. Right? It was just on this totally different spiritual plane. So there's another great story of, yes, a person can change and shift fundamentally everything about themselves right at, at, at the, the, the so-called uh, later years of their life. So not just like Rabbi Akiva, who at 40 years old switched his life around. You have Moshe, Moses, who at 80 years old totally, totally moved his life. So I think the picture should start to form that this notion, this thinking 
which may or may not be prevalent. I suspect that it is more prevalent than we think. The, the thinking that says you reach a certain point in your life, don't expect miracles. Don't expect change. Don't expect that I'm going to become somebody else. Or I don't want to have to deal with that particular demographic or age group because there's nothing to work with over there. I think it's a patently uh, antithetical concept to Judaism. Judaism is about there is no such thing as a time where or a stage where a person is so far gone that they can't be brought back or that they can't turn their life around. And by the way, that's not only in spiritual terms, it's across the board. Uh, we, we feel the same way with health issues. So the, the Talmud famously says that even at the time that the sword is at a person's throat, they should not give up hope. They should believe that there is some way to get out of this. And, and you don't have to know how. I think it's probably one of the problems that we have is people always believe that if they are going to change, they have to know how. How is it going to work? How long is it going to take? What are the steps going to be? What is the result going to look like? And it doesn't necessarily always work that way. In fact, very often you don't know what the result is going to be. You don't know what it's going to look like at the end. You only know that one highly, highly frightening step that you need to take at this particular point in time. So so that would be, so to speak, the first layer of um, our conversation over here today. My question to you is if you could expand that possibility. So is there any way outside of the context of just personal development and, and human development where never write a person off and never say that they can't change or they can't? I mean, I just think, I just think of all the experiences, my experiences, and there are so many people out there who have had, I'm sure, as many and probably more experiences than I have. But just my experience as a rabbi and, and, and people that either other people, family members, well, they themselves have said, listen, I'm, I'm just beyond repair. I, I, there's no hope for me. I remember as a youngster in high school and in the true Chabad fashion, we always used to go in those days it was to Belfort Park and find people and offer them to have the opportunity to put on tefillin. And, and I remember there was somebody who owned a shop over there and there was a woman who worked for him. And the first time I arrived, she said, listen, you're wasting your time over here. This fellow, I know him. I've worked with him for, for, for years. He's never going to put on tefillin. And, of course, you know, when you say that to a Chabadnik, that's like a challenge. But the reality is that he became a regular. It took a long time till that switch happened, but then he became regular and he put tefillin on, on a regular basis because you don't know. You don't know that a person can't change. It's, it's almost criminal to say that somebody is stuck in a particular mode or in a particular set of habits or in a particular character or personality. If you have just joined us, it's Fresh Thinking Time. You're with Rabbi Shishla. We're talking today about how... Can or not how at which point at which point do we roll over and play dead at which point does a person say that's it throw my hands up in despondence there's nothing I can do this is who I am these are my circumstances I can't grow it was a nice idea perhaps when I was younger. And sometimes I think that that could be one of the most destructive lines that a person can ever use maybe when I was younger. Maybe when I was younger. That's that sounds to me very defeatist. So initially, the first thought that that crosses my mind is people. Don't ever say that a person is in a situation that that situation is a bit too stuck. But what about when we go beyond people? So as I said, it's interesting that very often you get different conversations that creep up over a short period of time and somehow they relate to each other. This is going to go now beyond the uh, concept 
of just you as an individual or me as an individual and, and do we ever get to a point in our lives where we can retire from personal change? Of course not. You've always got to be able to, uh, to challenge yourself. But what about the bigger picture? So what happened was earlier this week, somebody forwarded an article to me. It's an article from the States and the article was uh, maybe a bit misleading. Its headline was perhaps misleading and probably deliberately so. It's what we call clickbait. But the, the headline essentially said, we need to teach our children how to intermarry. Okay, you got my attention, so I read the article. And the article purports to be written by somebody who calls themselves a rabbi. Okay, so that was obviously a little bit more interesting. And And their argument went as follows. The argument went that Assimilation and intermarriage rates in the Jewish community in the United States is just through the roof, say two-thirds or beyond, and therefore we've got to stop trying all these, and he lists various things that people do to try and counter intermarriage, you know, they, they, whatever it is, online dating or what, what do they call it, speed dating, all that kind of thing. He says, listen here, let's just be realistic. And let's just accept as a fait accompli, this is how it is. We no longer live in the shtetl. We no longer live cut off from the rest of society. Simulation is going to happen. Intermarriage is going to happen. And we just have to accept it. And the person who forwarded this article to me, uh, uh, sorry, and then they said more than just accept it. And then we have to work out a plan of how we're going to work with those people who are intermarried and how we're going to work to ensure that we don't lose their, ch- their, their children to Judaism altogether. So the person who forwarded it to me asked me, what do I think about it? And I think it's exactly the same issue. If I had to tell a person, listen here, sorry for you, but the only time that you can change your life, the only time that you can grow, the only time that there's uh, up, uh, opportunity, that there's elasticity in your life is until you're 30 years old. Once you hit 30 years old, tehu, goodbye, enjoy the ride. You're pretty much set in orbit, and there's nothing that you can ever do to fundamentally change yourself. That would be criminal. I, I really believe that that would be criminal to tell a person you can't change. But it's as criminal and possibly on a higher level because it's a greater scale if you turn around to the whole community and say you can't change this is it people we have to accept facts this is the american reality okay thank god the south african reality is a little healthier but that's the american that's the article saying this is the american reality jews are going to be lost to judaism en masse and there's really nothing that we can do other than to embrace those people and try and somehow keep them connected and and the person went so far as to say well really what we should be doing is we should be having rabbis officiate at interfaith marriages so that at least we keep those couples within the fold. And I, I, I found it personally, I, f- I found it sad because uh, that, that's just, that's just a write-off. That's a write-off to say that there's nothing that can be done. We're hemorrhaging. There's some kind of uh, illness. Of course, I don't mean that in a physical sense within the Jewish community. And, and that's it. We're just going to lose those people. Let's accept it. Is that a Jewish view? Is that acceptable? Is a Jew ever allowed, as just in Jewish thinking, the way that the Torah coaches us, are we ever allowed to turn around and to say, listen, reality check people, these are our circumstances and there's really nothing that we can do about them, so we may as well just accept them and live with them. It's, as, it's, it's like, the, like the Jewish population of America has been given some kind of diagnosis 
and uh, it's terminal. And they just got to now go through for therapy to accept it. Is that is that a Jewish way of thinking? To me, and you might have a different opinion. To me, absolutely not. To me, that is antithetical to everything Jewish. First of all, if we had to have taken that kind of an attitude, then we should have disappeared long ago. It's not the first time in our history that there's a challenge to the longevity of the Jewish people at all. Yes, now the challenge is one of assimilation and intermarriage. But what do you think it was 3,000 years ago? It was existential. Most of our history, there were people or groups or nations who wanted nothing more than the genocide and absolute annihilation of the Jewish people. And that hasn't gone away. Let's be honest. It still exists. It's just that, um, you know, in, in those days, they acted on it in a much broader way than than what we're seeing today. Thank God we're not seeing that today. But not very long ago, the Holocaust is uh, just yesterday in, in historical terms. So. So many times during our history, we could have said, that's it. Just accept the fact. Everybody wants to kill us. There shouldn't be Jews. They don't want us in their countries. And uh, they're just going to annihilate us. So so why even bother? I mean, we, we, should have, we should have given up on this job thousands of years ago. But it's not the Jewish way. The Jewish way is to challenge the status quo. The Jewish way is not to accept the so-called reality check that the world wants to offer us. The Jewish way is to stand up and go back the trend, prove the trends were right for everybody else except us. That's what we do. That's how we roll. That's, that's how Jews have always been throughout our whole history. That's why we're still here, because everybody else thought we should have disappeared. And it's not only because of existential threats. What do you think? Thousands of years ago, here today we talk about assimilation. Do you think there was no assimilation? I mean, the, the, the Torah records how the Midianite women landed up chapping Jewish men. We know that through the early biblical years after the Jews had moved into Israel, we know that idolatry was rife in that society and Jews were very often sucked into the idolatrous pagan practices of the time. We know that. We know that even the leadership in Israel in certain periods of biblical history endorsed and encouraged idolatry. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the head of the state of Israel mandating that the country should follow paganism? That's, that's not fiction. That happened in our history. And, and we got through that. Not only did we get through that, but Judaism is alive and kicking. So to take the attitude in that particular, I found that article particularly uh, not just worrying, but but just so sad. Have we completely lost the sense of what it is to be Jewish? What it is to be Jewish means we tackle the challenges that come our way and we never, ever accept that things have to be that way, that things have to devolve, that they have to fall apart. We don't accept that. We back the trends. And I think that that's really, really important for us to consider. Your thoughts on 34519 or WhatsApp 0618951019. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So, talking about status quo, about things that are stuck, about things that can't be fixed, and uh, whether that be yourself, 
One conversation that I had this week People get to a certain age And there's nothing you can do for them That's just who they are And they'll never change Or whether it's a broader picture Like this article that I've just quoted Where they say Well, there's nothing you can do about it Anti-assimilation and intermarriage Is just a fact of life Live with it Don't agree don't agree. I don't think it's a Jewish way. If you track Jewish history, whether it was Abraham, Abraham, the forefather, the originator of Judaism, who is called by the Torah Abraham Ha'ivrin. Now, most people translate that as Abraham the Hebrew, which of course is not a translation. Hebrew is just an Anglo version of Ivri, I suppose in the same way as Messiah is the anglicized version of Mashiach, it's not a translation Ivri means to be opposed and the, the the Talmud tells us the whole world stood on one side and Abraham stood on the opposite side to oppose their thinking that's the first Jew so therefore that's an insight into what it is to be Jewish to oppose what everybody else says now I don't mean to be contrarian although there are a lot of Jews who really are good at that uh, we call them Dafka, right? We all know people like that. That's not what we're talking about. It's no prize for a person to say, whatever you say, I'm going to say the opposite. Rather, what it means is not to accept the doomsayers, not to accept the prevalent thinking that big things can't be changed. People can't be changed. That's not a Jewish way of thinking. That's why Moses, as we're going to read in the Torah reading, the Shabbos stands up to Pharaoh. And if you examine everything that they argue about, it boils down to one fundamental conflict. Pharaoh says the world is designed in a particular way and there's nothing you can do to change it. When that stream flows, it flows. It will never turn direction. It will never move, split open, change into blood or whatever. So Pharaoh says, that's how it is. The nature of the world is X. So the nature of the world, for example, is that the powerful control the disempowered. That's why you're my slaves. And Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says, you need to understand that the nation we're about to build comes from Abraham. The whole world told Abraham, you cannot think this way, you cannot believe this way, and he proved them wrong. Well, we're going to do the same thing, and we're going to illustrate that what is predicted, what is natural, what is the flow of life, can be not only changed, but completely upended. That's what they did. So they broke the superpower of the world, and they went out becoming the first nation ever in history to liberate itself from a host belligerent nation. And then, of course, the story just continues from there. Because the, the giving of the Torah is another revolution and the taking of the land of Israel that everybody had for the whole of history called Canaan. And everybody had known that it is a place of terrible disunity and a place of horrible immorality. And the Jews come along and turn it into the epicenter of holiness in the world. So everything about being Jewish is to defy the thinking that says things can't be changed. You can't be changed. The world can't be changed. We're just stuck and it sucks. Uh, I talked to somebody earlier today and they were saying that, they were, that he had he, this fellow was telling me they'd be, just been listening to a debate. And the one fellow, one side of the debate said, well, you have to know that the world was created in such a way that humans just suffer. <laughs> Can you imagine that? 
And, and we discussed it, this fellow and myself said, it's not that the world was created in such a way that humans suffer. We attribute the word suffering to pain. Yes, the world is a place that includes a lot of pain, but not all pain equals suffering. Go to the gym, there's pain, not suffering. You bring up children, there's pain, the physical pain of having a child, the emotional pain of rearing a child, but that's not suffering. So it's that switch. It's that switch of saying the world's not a damned place. The world is not a destructive environment. It doesn't have to be. We've got to see the opportunity to shift. We've got to see the opportunity beyond that. There's a, there's a verse that King Solomon writes in Shir Hashirim in the Song of Songs where he talks about the whole Song of Songs is this metaphoric love affair between man and woman, which is supposed to represent God as the man and the Jewish people as his wife. And there's a line over there where he says, Bossi Legani, I've come to my garden. This is the man speaking so that's speaking about God and the interpretation that the Midrash gives of that particular verse is that it's referring to where the Mishkan the tabernacle was built in the desert and God so to speak came to dwell amongst the people the divine presence dwelt amongst the people and the expression over there is that God's talking about my garden now most of us a lot of the time look around at the world particularly if we follow the news and we think what a jungle we live in Chaos, anarchy, dysfunction, everything is falling to pieces, whether it be government, whether it be climate, whether it be international relations, whatever. Place is falling apart. Look at families, look at the dysfunction, look at the the behavior of people. And then suddenly you've got this insight that the Torah says, hang on, the place you see as a jungle, God sees as a garden. Bingo, you you should have thought about this. Obviously, the very first reference we ever have to humans living on earth, we're told they were living in the Garden of Eden. Yes, humans did damage to that situation, and so they no longer live in the Garden of Eden. But that is not a fait accompli. In the same way as when a person hits 40 years old, their life, their character, their bad habits are not a fait accompli, and they can change. And the same can happen when they're 70 years old or 90 years old. Any person who chooses to focus can change their life altogether in the same way the world that we live in does not have to remain a jungle. Any one of us could decide that we're going to nurture a piece of garden in this world. And and it catches on. It becomes one of those viral elements where other people say, hey, you know what? There's the potential for a garden over here To, to shrug our shoulders and say there are massive problems in the world out there. and We just have to live with them is antithetical to what the Torah teaches. The Torah teaches that everything in life is about shifting. Everything in life is about, well, two things, actually. Number one, that change can and therefore must happen. And number two, perhaps a little bit more profoundly, that change is not necessarily to make something that was not there before changes very often to reclaim what is really there and has been coated in dirt very very often in let's say relationships there was a good relationship and now things have soured we don't have to change the relationship to a new good relationship we need to get past the baggage and rediscover the good relationship that was 
and fundamentally is there. Same thing with our world. Our world's not a bad place fundamentally. Bad things have happened. People have done bad things. To change the world is not so much about changing people to something fresh and new as much as guiding people to discover what's fundamentally good, what's fundamentally essential, that the world is a garden and we are its tenders, that every one of us has within ourselves incredible opportunity for positive, that anything which is good in the world has the capacity to rise, to sustain, and to conquer. And when we shift that thinking, or as we like to call it here, when we start having fresh thinking, all kinds of things change. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So if we had a contextualized, we've been talking today about change and about how people often feel either that they're stuck or that the people who they are dealing with are stuck. Or people often feel that a situation is beyond repair and there's, there's no way out of it. We're, we just have to accept. So it, that's not a Jewish way of thinking. And I think it really links in very strongly to this idea. We happen to be reading about it in the Torah portion at the moment, last week, this week, the coming week, even though we celebrate Pesach only in a couple, in a few months time. I've got to be careful. Don't say Pesach too loud. People panic. But uh, if you, if you pay attention to the Exodus story, the Exodus story is our story. And we've discussed this here before, but the reality is there is a Pharaoh voice inside every one of us that says, you're stuck. You're stuck. What do you think? The Jews had been in Egypt as slaves for 210 years. How stuck is that? That means they had a slave mentality. Their parents had slave mentality. Their grandparents had slave mentality. That was the norm in the world. There was no such thing as a person who had ever climbed out of the caste system. And you think you're stuck? Because you still sleep through your alarm? Or because you still get annoyed every time you see that particular person? Or because you have already broken your New Year's resolution? You think you're stuck compared to that story? But yep, all of us, we have a voice in our head that says, you're stuck, telling you there's scientific evidence. This is the way that it is. The Jewish world is stuck. We're hemorrhaging. We're losing people. There's no turning that trend back. And then there's a Moses who arrives on the scene, then historically, now psychologically. And that's the voice that we have to listen, that, that we have to listen to. That's the voice that says, no matter how high that wall, how strong and compelling that particular path is, God allows us the opportunity to break free, to change, to shift to discover value, goodness, opportunity, optimism, all the wonderful things that every single person wishes for themselves. It's there. It's, it's available to every single one of us. We have to just, I think, shift our thinking. We have to remember how to think Jewish. And thinking Jewish is different. It is different. It's thinking about A, that we don't necessarily get to control those things. So if we want to make a choice and we want to make a move and we want to shift our lives, it's not all in our hands. God will assist us. And much, much more uh, often we have to think about the fact that we don't have to accept our circumstances. 
We don't have to accept our failures. We don't have to accept our flaws. That so long as we are on this earth, so long as we have another day, we have the opportunity for absolute revolution. Positive revolution, obviously. But that's what life is about. That's what challenges. That's how we develop ourselves. That's how we connect with our souls. That's how we change the world back into being Hashem's garden. So that's something that we can all think about and hopefully apply in our lives. And uh, as I suspected right at the beginning of the show, people are still getting back into the swing of things from the holidays, hoping that uh, everybody starts to message, get involved, interact, communicate from next week. I know we've had a long break. But until then, so please, God, we should have good things. Please, God, we should have a successful year ahead. Please, God, we should have a safe and healthy year ahead. It's really difficult at this time of the year to imagine what exactly it is that the brochers would be asking for in six months' time from now. So whatever they are, Hashem should rack them up for us, stack up the brochers, get them ready, give us a lot of success personally, at a family level, community level, national level, global level. And let's hope, let's hope that we get to have the privilege of living in Hashem's garden rather than uh, living in a world that appears to be a jungle. I think it's in all of our hands. Every single one of us can make that difference. Every single one of us has that uh, potential. Every single one of us has that responsibility. If we are, uh, if we're going to accept that the world is a negative place, well, I suppose then it will be a negative place. But if we are convinced and we are dedicated and we're committed to make a difference, there's nothing, nothing that can stop us from, from making change. And it all, help, it all starts with self. So if we're willing to take the bull by the horns and to to challenge ourselves then every one of us every one of us can make a huge huge shift huge internal shift and from that a huge global shift so as i say till next time have a wonderful shabbos and have a very successful year ahead and we should have some great conversation please God in the coming year if you've got topics that you'd like to hear on Fresh Thinking that's easy you can just uh, SMS 34519 you could WhatsApp 0618951019 you could tweet at Chai FM you could tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. if you've got a good enough topic who knows we might be talking about it next week till then have a great Shabbos and be well <laughs>